Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. About the Beatitudes, and I said last week we were starting with uh, Blessed are the bankrupt, the first B, but actually never quite got thoroughly into that, so last was uh, Blessed was the beginning. And today is Blessed is the bankrupt, so I want to stay in my B's. Uh, it was a lot of introduction last week, I know. Um, there is so much. This passage is so rich. Um, a good one. But one that I hope we do not pass through it because it's so familiar that we miss the message. And uh, so we have to be careful as we examine these words here in Matthew chapter 5. Today, blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse number 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves to you at the start of our uh, time in your word. It's a very important time for us to sit and to learn from you. From the eternal word of God. From that which is powerful and active. That which accomplishes what you set it out to do. That which changes our lives and has changed our lives forever. And we are in need of these words. They are the light to our feet, to our path. They are the guide to understanding your ways. They are our wisdom. They are our strength. So help us today as we learn from them to glean much and to profit in such a way that we are more like our Savior and that we do things the way you have designed it for us to do. Help us today with this passage, we pray. It's very important to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I call this the bankrupt. That's the nature of the word we're looking at here when we see this phrase, the poor in spirit. That, that's a term that they've tried to uh, record for us in words that we can understand. And sometimes people might give too much emphasis on poor as if it's about money or lack of it. Uh, some people will put a lot of emphasis in the word spirit and talk about it as some sort of a, a spiritual, uh, some will deal with it from an evangelistic approach and a variety of other ways when they're dealing with the word spirit. When all the while it's just an adjective for a beggar. That's the word you're looking at, tokos. Blessed are the beggars. The ones who are like beggars. It's an adjective. And it's a very interesting little picture that we're looking at here today. Because when I talk about beggars, the word bankrupt comes to mind. And I think it's a fitting word for us to understand. Because this word is more than just a spiritual place where we start. It's a place where we ought to be as believers in Christ. I want to express that to you here this morning in a very careful way because this, this first of the Beatitudes, these eight Beatitudes from verse 3 through 12, I think is one that is essential 
if I if I could say it this way, I don't think any of the others are going to make sense unless we have the first one down and understood, uh, because all the rest are dependent terms that show how bankrupt we really are apart from Christ. Rarely do we say, "Blessed are the bankrupt." Not in our society, of course. Uh, there's, like I said last week, we might celebrate the ten richest people on a list, but we never put a list of the ten poorest people. You'd probably be afraid to be looking at a list like that, wouldn't you? Who are the ten poorest people on the planet? We don't know, but we don't get lists like that. Because a tokos is one who has been reduced to absolute poverty. That's a zero. All right? That, that's not somebody who has a little bit, who's working real hard somehow, earning it, scraping by, just getting just a touch here or a touch there to make it. Uh, this is reduced to nothing. Absolutely nothing. These folks Jesus called blessed. There's a good picture of one. It's in Luke chapter 16. I take you over there today because this, is a picture I want in your mind as we go throughout this passage. In Luke 16, 19 through 21, we have this, this uh, story told by Jesus. And here's what I have as my opinion, that he didn't tell stories that he just made up. I believe he told things that were true and accurate. And because of that, much of the theology we understand about certain places like heaven and hell and things like that are based on his words. And I believe them to be true because he said so. And so I don't know the background to the story. Matter of fact, I don't even know the man's name that's included in the story. It's a rich man. We don't have his name. But we do have a man named Lazarus, and sometimes that's confused with a nether Lazarus in Scripture who died, who was a friend of Jesus. Uh, we do not believe this is the same man at all. But in this story, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. That's on the top ten list. The other list. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate. Notice Lazarus couldn't even get there himself. He was laid, somebody else did that, at his gate. He was covered with sores and longing to be fed. Notice he wasn't even being fed. He was longing to be fed from the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And the poor man died. Most of the time we put a period right there. As if, well, that's the end of that. But it's not, is it? The poor man died. And what do you see? He was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, I'm not going to give you a whole theology or such on this, but I just wanted to set you... Uh, an illustration in your mind as we begin. This is the beggar. 
when scripture describes a beggar, this is the man that you can set in your mind. This one who's unable to get where he needs to go, unable to get what he needs to eat. He has nothing. He has nothing. That picture describes nothingness. And when we think of the difference between the two, the rich man was self-sufficient. He had everything he needed. He could take care of himself. He could provide for himself. The bankrupt are self-deficient. They can't do a thing for themselves. They have nothing. They must rely on others for everything else. Now, in the simple picture of the Christian walk, in the picture of what God would call us to be or to do, God wants us dependent on Him. Doesn't He? Because He says, Jesus says it so clearly, apart from Me, you can do nothing. John chapter 5. You can do nothing. Now, that is a phrase that really needs to settle in our hearts. Because the issue of this first beatitude deals with our pride. Deals with our pride. Blessed are the bankrupt. Deals with our pride. I was trying to think, how might I, I suggest a illustration to help us grasp where we're going with this simple thing? I could start with a, a description of our salvation. How much do we actually bring to the table? How much do we have to bargain with God? How much merit do we carry into that whole arena where the Lord would look upon us and say, Ah, our Savior, we bring nothing. We have no merit. We sang that this morning. Did you notice that on one of the songs? No merit. Started the verse. We have no merit. We have no bargaining position. We have no righteousness. We have nothing appealing to us at all. Matter of fact, Ephesians tells us very straightforward. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were living that way. We had nothing to commend us before a holy God. Nothing. And you know that's exactly where the Lord met us. That's exactly the situation we were called to. Because it's not by our works. It's not by our doing. It's by His grace alone. That's why I don't mind starting this morning with that position. Being bankrupt spiritually is a perfect place to start because that's the way God saves us. That's where He saves us. We have nothing. Now, is it likely that He's going to say, okay, salvationally, I'll let you get by with being bankrupt, but after that, you know, uh, I have certain expectations. I, I have... I have things that I want you to be in order for me to use you. In order for me to bless you. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to require that you appease me in certain ways. This is where it gets interesting. Because we know that he gives us gifts, right? Sure. He has blessed us a lot, hasn't he? Matter of fact, it's even more than that. According to Peter, he has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What are you lacking? 
Everything covers a lot of territory, doesn't it? We're not lacking anything in the Christian life. We've been given all the tools that we possibly need. It's kind of an interesting story, but many years ago, well, well over 140, um, there was a civil war going on in our land. Abraham Lincoln had a, had a very large army to the, in the north. In the very early stages of that war, uh, he had a general named McClellan. Remember? You say, no, I don't think I memorized all the generals. McClellan was very skilled in the training. He knew the routines. He knew, he knew what should be. And he worked with those troops every day. Made them line up, made them march, made them do this, made them do that, made them do this, made them do that. All the while, the enemy's there, the battle's ready to start, and he does nothing. Nothing is happening. And he comes out the next day, and he runs them through all the ritual, and all the routines, and all the, the, the pageantry, if you will, of, of setting up for war, but they do nothing. And it goes on, and on, and on, and he keeps requesting for more troops. Finally, President Lincoln says, you know what, why don't you let me borrow your army for a minute? And he said, I'll just take them in. It's an interesting thing. When we talk about the Christian life and the ministry that we have, we have everything. Don't we? Everything pertaining to life and godliness, what are you lacking? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Is that true too? What are we lacking? Nothing. Now I set that before you on purpose. Because this is the way we normally operate. I was down in the kitchen. I wanted to use a cup. And this thing was awfully small. I wanted to illustrate with a cup. So I went and got a bigger cup. Hope you don't mind. But it's easier to illustrate. If that cup had in it my abilities and my wisdom and my strength and my plans and my glory and I filled it all the way up with me how much room for Christ? Many times we think, well, if, if I take my ability, my strength, my wisdom, my, my plans, my glory, I put them all there. Obviously, that's what the Lord has blessed me with. So that's what I, he says, no. All of those are from me. They're not yours. Are you hearing this? He has given to us everything. What was yours? Nothing. All of this cup should be about Him, not about us. Everything in the cup, the strength that I have is His strength. The wisdom I have should be His wisdom. The plans that I have should be His plans. And who gets the glory? He does. That's what the picture is all about when it comes to bankruptcy. That the idea is, I have nothing but what he's given to me. 
I'm just the beggar. I don't come with my part to put into the cup and say, okay, now I'm useful. It must be his stuff in the cup. That's what he uses. That's what he uses. I have a, a man I've known for quite a number of years. He was a, a wonderful, kind man. I can't tell you today if he's still alive. I don't know, to tell the truth. I uh, haven't heard from him for a while, and he was dealing with cancer. And I just wonder if uh, maybe he's gone now. But he would come into my office often. He worked several jobs in different places, usually management positions and things of that nature. And, and uh, he came in once after he had lost his job. And uh, he sat across from me there at the office and he says, you know, Pastor, I, I, I think the Lord would have me go into missions. I said, oh, okay, that sounds really wonderful. Tell me about it. He says, well, it's, it's not exactly the typical missions that people are doing today, but this is what I think he'd want me to do. I think he'd want me to go out and, and dig wells in Ethiopia and, and help feed the poor in this country and go over and help build houses in this country and all this. I mean, his ideas were, were huge. Absolutely huge. And I'm sitting there listening to him say all these things, and I said, you know, that's going to take an awful lot. I'm just thinking of the poor missionary trying to get deputation, you know. And they come up with, I'm going to do everything in the world. And that's what he wanted to do. And uh, so I said, well, how are you going to do this? He says, oh, it's quite easy. And this is what I, what I want you to help me with, because I need you to pray about this. I bought a lottery ticket. Uh, you know what? This got into an interesting conversation suddenly because he's asking the pastor to bless the lottery tickets because he says, when God gives me this blessing, then I could go out and serve him. And I said, how much is in your pocket right now? Well, it was $10. I said, can't you serve him with that? Matter of fact, why don't you serve him with that? Because he's already given that to you to serve with. And if he decides you need twenty dollars, he'll give you twenty dollars. But he's only entrusted you with ten. Many times we think if our cup's not the big cup, we can't minister. Right? Compared to the big cup, I only have a little cup. I can't serve him. Well, you know what? The big cup has to be just as bankrupt as the little cup. Because we both need to depend upon the Lord, don't we? That's where it starts. Blessed are the bankrupt. Blessed are the bankrupt. These are the ones, as Lenski wrote in his commentary, who bring absolutely nothing to God but their complete emptiness, their need, and they stoop in the dust for pure grace and mercy only. And then he goes on to say, this is a condition and attitude, not only of true repentance preached by Jesus, but it's basic for anyone who will come to God. Now, I would say basic, not just in our salvation, but basic in our Christian walk. We must 
Be totally dependent. Now, is that easy? No, it's not. It is not easy at all to say that, as Arthur W. Pink said, I have nothing, I am nothing, I can do nothing, I have need of all things. I am conscious of my emptiness. He even calls it a painful discovery. (laughs) And it is because of the word pride. This hits right where pride is standing, isn't it? it? It just goes right to that mark. That's where pride likes to stand up and say, yeah, but, you know, this is the way I, 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 I just made. I talk about John the Baptist not too often, but I think I should more often. Back up just one chapter or so in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. John the Baptist, big crowds drawn to him, baptizing people. You know, there's a lot to that story. In Matthew 3.11, John says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, that's speaking of Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. I am not fit to remove his sandals. That's one statement he makes that's very pronounced. The other one he makes, which you probably are familiar with, is in John chapter 3, and it's in verse number 30. John 3, verse 30. Focus on these words for a minute. I'm going to start in verse 27, give you the whole context. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Did he understand it? Yeah, that's bankruptcy. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friends of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, and I must decrease. Those two words kind of stand out. Increase, he must grow. It's a simple word for grow. Decrease, I must lessen in rank. I must lessen in influence. And both of them are what we call present tense infinitives, which means it needs to keep on going. I must continue to decrease, to decrease, to decrease. I would like very much for somebody someday to say, you know, I see so much Christ in you, rather than I see so much of you. When Jesus dominates my cup, when the Holy Spirit is the one who's leading in my wisdom and in my direction and in my strength and in my ministry and in every aspect of my being, that's where I start to understand more and more how absolutely spiritually bankrupt I am. You see, it's a growing thing to understand it. 
so we're called to be spiritually prosperous as spiritually bankrupt people. These are the ones the Lord approves. I want to show you what he said about it once. It's back in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 66. You go back there, you can find Isaiah pretty easy in the Old Testament. It's one of the bigger books after the book of Psalm. Isaiah 66, verse number 2. Well, we could add verse 1, just because it gives a proper view of what's happening here. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Here are a few more pages turning. I'll give you a second. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? He's got it all. And then he says this, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Look at those three phrases. The one who is humble. What's the opposite? Proud. The one who is contrite of spirit. The one who trembles at my word. Have you ever trembled at God's word before? Have you ever read it and it just shook you to the core? You say, oh! You ever been there? Oh my! Trembles at his word. And yet our tendency, because of familiarity, is to read passages like Matthew 5, 3 and just march on like, well, that's something I memorized in third grade. And we don't take it to heart. You see... The Beatitudes is not about law. It's not about rules. It's not about how to, to formulate steps and all this in order to accomplish God's approval. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And when the heart is full of pride, you can do all the ritual, you can do all the events, you can do all the ministry and all that stuff, but you're doing it for your own glory. But when the heart is engaged as it ought to be, then you seek only Him. You seek only Him. It's a bankrupt. The Lord does not look down upon the bankrupt. He calls us to be one. See it? It's an interesting picture He's setting us. He's putting us in a place where he says, this is the one I approve. This is the one I use. This is the one I, I bless. It's a bankrupt. Because they understand that they have nothing. So they depend upon me completely. How many stories I've read of people like this? Missionary stories from the 1900s and late 1800s. Incredible people who we, we pretty much put in our missionary hall of fame now. We talk about, what well, this great missionary here, this great missionary there. We talk about them. 
sometimes you, you come to understand what it was that drove them in ministry. What it was to be over there and serve for years and years and years and years and years and have no fruit. I wonder why are they still there? Why do they go out and cut off all ties to the homeland and say, if the Lord has for us to serve, then he will provide the needs? Sometimes we wonder at people like that. We think they're highly unusual, don't we? One of my favorite stories, uh, one of the missionaries, and you'd know him, George Mueller, was, was over there working with an orphanage. They had no food. They had all these children that he ministered to. They had no food. So he told them to sit down at the table. It was, it was time to eat. There was nothing on the table. So they started to pray about it. There was a guy going by and his truck broke down and it was full of food. And he was going to perish because he couldn't get it delivered. Are you say, that was perfect timing. Who's behind such things? If I tell you that happened once, twice, three times, four times, this man's whole life was like that. I've known per- people personally like this, who had nothing one minute, and the next minute their need was met perfectly. You say, well, that's for the unique. No, it's not. It's for the bankrupt. That's who we're called to be. Those who depend upon the Lord. Because if you're not depending on Him, who are you depending upon? Now, you could answer that yourself. I have to answer that too. Jesus says, blessed are the bankrupt. They totally depend upon God. Do you think that's a safe place to be? There's a question for us. Is that a safe place to be? I'd rather be there than any place else. And I'm going to to add that none of these others are going to make sense unless that is made sense first in our heart. We start with nothing. And the beauty of it is that the rest of the passage, for those is the kingdom of heaven, is what they already have. He's not talking about earning the kingdom of heaven. He's not, you're not meriting it. You're not, the Lord didn't make a deal with you. He said, okay, you be bankrupt and then I'll take care of it later. Here's the reality. Those who know the Lord already have it. They already have it. The phrase is, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a statement of reality. He's not saying they're earning it. That they're going to get it if they become bankrupt. Here's the beauty of the picture. I want to see if I could express it. Because I already know I have this. I'm free to go out and do this. You see? This is taken care of. This is already done. The Lord's already provided He's already given the funds, the needs, whatever you want to call it. He's already given to us everything, hasn't he? Everything. Does that include only this life? No. Everything. Everything has been given to us. I don't think it's hard when we understand that 
since all those things are ours, that we could depend upon him completely for how we're going to live right now. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. All the blessings in the heavenly places. I, I said that before you on this twofold point. Number one, I want to make that emphasis, but number two, I want to illustrate it for you. Tonight especially, we're working our way through the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 2, and we start into chapter 2, the first half of that chapter. And here is Jesus, who has everything. And what did he do? He emptied himself. Have you ever wondered what that was? What that's all about? And what did he become when he emptied himself? servant. And guess what the passage is telling us in Philippians 2? Have this same attitude. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he hasn't showed you how to do it first. He will never take you down a road that he has not led first because that's the way he is. He always leads us And where he has gone, we follow in his footsteps. And this is one thing he did, as we might say, humanly, this was the first step in coming down, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. He emptied himself. And what did he have? You have to come tonight and find the answers. But that's a heavy calling, folks. It's not an easy thing. It's not a comfortable thing. It goes contrary to what the world is screaming out, and too many pulpits are screaming out too. Come to Jesus, and then you will get everything. That's not what the passage says. You know Jesus? Lose everything. Be bankrupt. Well, that's going to sell as a bestseller if I put it as a title, wouldn't it? Blessed are the bankrupt. People say, I'm not buying that one. Even those who are bankrupt can't afford it. Blessed are the bankrupt. I want to challenge your hearts with that this morning. Because this this is where spiritual poverty, if you want to call it spiritual poverty, Christian poverty, if you want to call it that, I'm not talking about dollars and cents. I'm not talking about uh, houses or lands or cars or such like that. I mean, if that's part of the story, that's part of the story. I'm talking about, I come to him with nothing of my own. It's not about me. It's not my wisdom. It's not my strength. It's not my power. It's not my plans. It's not me. I come to him with nothing that he might be everything. You see? That's what I'm calling for as we think this through. Because I think this is the the basic foundation of the Christian life. Of what we understand and how we live. Because this is where it starts in ministry. This is where it starts in serving the Lord. This This is where we need to be. This adjective. Bankrupt. Beggars. You know that's going to change your prayer life. When you come to him and realize you're just a beggar opening your hand up for bread. It's going to change your plans for the day. 
Because you don't start the day with your list. You go to the Lord and say, here's my empty page, fill it. You don't go with your directions. You ask Him for guiding along the path. It gets deeper as you go, by the way. Because there are parts of that journey that gets hard to understand. And then you have to ask questions like, why am I walking in the dark right now, Lord? I don't understand what this path is doing. I don't know why it hurts this much. And you start to ask deeper questions about His leading. Like I said, this is not just for a entry level into understanding your walk with Christ. It gets deeper day by day. This passage is incredible to me. And so we have to start someplace. And that's where we start. Blessed are the bankrupt. So I ask where your heart is today. Your heart. In relation to what the Lord is doing, where is your heart? You running on empty? It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Heavenly Father, this is not easy for us to walk down a, a, a study like this. This is not easy for us who look around us and see how blessed we are with so many things or so many skills so much opportunity. Our, our land is abundant with provisions, in spiritual circles especially. We have the books and we have the videos and we have the programs and we have endless supplies of Bibles and translations all over. But you didn't talk about any of that. You talked about our heart today. Our heart. That which you want to control, want to dwell in. One that you want to love you completely in service, in life. And you're dealing with that even now. So Lord, we come to you as we submit to you. We don't know how you're going to complete what you're doing right now. Where that will take us or what that will have us be or do. But it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. And I pray that our hearts are ready to trust you more. Challenge us thoroughly with this passage, Lord, as we work our way through it to understand what it means to be blessed by you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.